Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Tales of the Justice Society of America. I am Michael Bailey. And I am the Sinister Soul. (laughs) S-O-L-E, I'm assuming. Yes. (laughs) And I'm going to talk like this until my voice breaks. No, I'm not. Which will hopefully be like right now. (laughs) Yeah, that hurts. (laughs) Hi, I'm, I'm Scott Gardner, actually. Most of the time. How you doing, brother? Hey, I'm doing okay. How about you? Ah, it's been a long day, but I think uh, I am excited to talk about some more Justice Society goodness. Sweet! So which am we, I. Which we usually do about about a half hour to 45 minutes after talking about anything but the Justice Society. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to try, or I'm going to try, I don't know about you, but I'm going to try to stay focused and on topic and there's a first time for everything. So, <laughs> well, let's get the emails out of the way since we usually do those at the top of the show. Top hey. of the show. Cool. I'm good with that. We got one from our buddy Daniel Gibson. I love the title of this one. It's entitled "Brokeback Brownstone Edition." He it says, uh, "Like hearing you guys talking about the JSA in Smallville and Brave and the Bold episodes." Can't defend Smallville. In fact, I think someone should print up t- uh, print up shirts that say. I survived 10 years of Smallville. Don't give us this crap again. (laughs) Having watched the series from the start and only uh, stayed on for love of Chloe and later Oliver. That's kind of creepy. I've seen some really bad episodes. The JSA one, I'm glad to say, wasn't one of them. I loved Shanks as Carter Hall, but agree his Hawkman was a little off. I did like the scene between Courtney and Chloe, but can see why you said it was forced. I also couldn't get enough of Hawkman and Green Arrow friction. The only real problem I had is one that I have with Smallville in general. They don't like badass normals. Come on, only five minutes of Sandman? I call bullshit. Glad you guys made the sacrifice and watched it. (laughs) Whenever we eventually meet, first round's on me. Hey, I'm holding you to that shit, too. Yeah, no, no damn doubt. I'll take free... Spirits take free anything. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not proud. Uh, but I can defend Brave and the Bold. Growing up watching Batman the animated series after school and catching West Batman before bed, I love the middle ground that Brave and the Bold lives on. That's my problem. I think it tries to live in a middle ground. I don't think it succeeds. That, but that's mm-hmm. just my editorial comment. Uh, He goes on to say, it does have a few arcs. Last season had Batman face the Injustice Society of a parallel Earth. And this season is building up an event uh, with a certain conquering fish. Does he mean conquering starfish? I believe so. That's probably it. I may have to see that. I mean, I intend to watch the show anyway. I just, I don't know if I've said this on the show before, so excuse me if I have. But I got behind because our DVR got fried, like, I think it was like last fall. 
we had this really bad lightning storm in our area and it fried our DVR and we had to have it replaced. So I lost all of my Brave and the Bold. I've since downloaded them all. I just haven't made the time to actually get caught up. But anyway, I, I will. I intend to. Uh, anyway, I'm getting off topic. We're here to talk about J- the JSA episode, not the series as a whole. The character designs and acting was spot on, and I loved that the JSA played a part in Batman's training. Yes, yeah. I, that was very cool, too. Yeah, I actually watched this again because it, it popped up on the DVR, and my wife and I sat down and watched it, and surprisingly, she really enjoyed it. She had a lot of questions, uh, and she made and she actually, you know how your son asked about... Uh, why is that guy robbing the JSA's <laughs> uh, headquarters when they're all freaking there in a giant event? Her question was, why did the JSA return to their normal old ages at the end of the episode, but what's-his-name was turned into a baby and Per Degaton was turned even older? Mm, that's a good point. That's she, a she, good she's point. like, this doesn't make any sense. No, it I, does. I, I really didn't have anything <laughs> to counter her with. We also watched uh, and got kind of pissed because we watched the Sidekicks Assemble episode, which was kind of cute. It had Robin and Aqualad and Speedy in it. Wonder Girl? Wonder uh, Girl? No. Oh, damn it! And at the end, well, she wasn't part of the original Teen Titans, so there you go. Uh, well, then again, neither was Speedy, but that's neither here nor there. Um, at the end, you have the you know the green arrow and aquaman telling aqualad and speedy what a good job they've done how they've grown up so well and apparently this is where the robin who had been wearing the earth 2 robin costume uh in the show uh became nightwing but for whatever reason maybe cartoon network started showing it a little later it's cut off right before that happened just pissed us both off because we really wanted to see it <laughs> Well, the main, the major thing that kept me from watching Teen Titans, the the anime-looking one, was that yeah. Donna wasn't part of it. If they had brought her onto that team, I, I think I could have been a fan of that show. But because she wasn't there, I just I lost interest very, very quickly with that silly anime style they had going. But anyway, main, as main, Daniel, I'm sorry. The main thing that kept me from watching that show after the first episode was they took my favorite mom and pop pizza place. That I absolutely loved and turned it to a fucking Chuck E. Cheese. So that was my problem with it. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> anyway, as Daniel says, we're here to talk about the JSA. So getting back to his uh, email, he says, Finally, I enjoyed the Huntress origin. I'm doing another Bins Ray tomorrow, and we'll keep an eye out for this. I doubt anyone wrote it, uh, but I would also like to read the years between when Bruce and Selena started dating and when Helena was born. Given the unlove that DC gives to Earth 2, I don't think there uh, there will be one anytime soon. Uh, thanks for planting the thought of Power Girl's sexuality in my mind. You're welcome. Given her relationship with Helena, I'll be in my bunk. Ew, that, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> yeah, Keep up we're... the good work, Daniel. And he gives a PS here. He goes, says, PS, can you tell me the name of that Alan Scott novel? I want to hunt it down and give it a look. Uh, no, I won't. No, I will. It's uh, yeah. He's going, son of a bitch. Uh, it's called Green Lantern Sleepers, Book Two. This is by Christopher J. Priest, a priest rather, and Michael. I don't know how you pronounce this. A H N. I guess it's on. And uh, I have not read this book. 
um, mostly because I don't have book one. And so I don't know. I don't have, I really don't know anything about this. I literally bought this <laughs> because I am a judge a book by its cover kind of guy. And it has a freaking awesome cover up. The, the cover is, um, the Alan Scott Green Lantern. It's a painted cover of him. Like he looks like he's standing in like an alleyway or something. It almost like he, like he's in front of the Dakota apartments in New York city or something. And he's just, he's holding his battery and his, his ring is like got this trail of green flame and he's raising his arm up all triumphantly. It's just a really bitchin' cover. And I saw this and I was like, whoa, I didn't know there was an Alan Scott novel. So I snagged it. And then later when I got home, this, I got this at the, like the flea market or something. I realized it was the second book of a series and I've just, you know, put it on the shelf waiting for the day when I stumble across the first book of the series. So, but anyway, that's the book I was talking about. To uh, to answer one of his requests, uh, there is a story that takes place that basically shows how the Earth Two Batman and Catwoman got together, what spurned them on to uh, fall in love and eventually, you know, have Helena. They don't show oh. Helena being born. It's Where is in that? Brave Brave and the Bold number one ninety seven. Oh, is uh, that the one? Where it's got Batman on the cover, like swearing, you know, I I quit being Batman or something, and she's kind of standing off to the side watching him. Is that the one? Give me just a second. I'm gonna fake this. <laughs> I don't want to let the listeners know that we go to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. You don't have to, to look do that. Up. I'm looking at. Oh no, this isn't. This is Batman and Catwoman. Okay, this is right near the end of the series. Yeah, 197. Yeah. But the, it's called the Autobiography of Bruce Wayne, and is a it, it, the first time I read it was it's the last story in the first volume of the greatest Batman stories ever told from 1987. Oh, okay. And it it's written by Alan Brennert, and it's art by Joe Staten and George Sweet. Freeman. Sweet. So I, I I love this story. It's a really. <sighs> It's a really cool story concerning the Earth 2 Batman getting older and why he hooks up with Catwoman. I mean, I can spoil that because we all know it's going to happen, but it's it's the why that's the important thing. And there's a couple good character moments in there. So if you can find that in a 50-cent bin, which I think it is a 50-cent bin type of book, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it. But yeah, check that out if you want to see more of the Earth 2 Batman and Catwoman together. I need to either read this or reread this because I have it in my collection and I don't remember a damn thing about it. So I'm not sure that I've actually read it. The book I was thinking of is actually Brave and the Bold number 184, which we need to talk about at some point or other. That one is Batman and the Huntress. And this is the (sighs) Earth 1 Batman and the Huntress. It's got one of my favorite comic book covers of all time, just, I guess, mostly for sentimental value. But it's just a great cover of, of Bruce Wayne, and he's, he's standing there as Batman, but he's got his cowl held in his hand. And he looks like he's about to throw it to the ground. He's standing in front of the graves of the Waynes, his parents. And he says, my parents deserve to die. And the Batman must die as well. And she looks all shocked and dismayed as she's watching this happen. And just an awesome, awesome Jim Aparo covers. We'll we'll be covering those at some point. Sweet. Uh, Definitely. Probably in their own little episode between Adventure Comics and All-Star, just to (laughs) kind of cover some Earth 2 ground. We've got a lot of that ground to cover, actually, yeah. (laughs) I still don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it, so there you go. 
<laughs> you asked for it. We're going to do it. <laughs> All righty. The next email is from our good friend, Jose Rivera. It says, episode 15, bar fights. Hey, guys, Jose writes, you know I wish it were possible to record my reactions to certain moments in this run. Chief among them would be the guy in the obligatory striped shirt punching Ted Grant for saying something about Ted Grant. I couldn't believe that when I read it. Well, <laughs> buy a, you know, a half-decent microphone, download Audacity, and send us uh, <laughs> send us uh, voice email, emails. We'll, we'll take those. You can send those to the, to the uh, email address. You have to wonder what was going through Wildcat's mind when that happened. Not only was he self being self-deprecating, but he got punched in the face for it. On the other <laughs> hand, I could totally see a thought balloon of him being happy people still remember him and stick up for him as a boxer. As Ill- illogical as it was, considering Ted and Sylvester were wearing a lot of clothing and you could only see their trenches in the wind and the splash page Staten did with these two costumes uh, with these two in costume was amazing. The one thing I'm realizing about his art is he makes dynamic moments count. Amen. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you guys something. Does it inspire a lot of confidence in you when a superhero on monitor duty just turns his head and proclaims nothing's happened? And then they play checkers. People's lives are constantly in danger, and these pricks are playing board games? (laughs) Thankfully, Shock shared my sentiment. No wonder the Strike Force didn't give them a second thought. Oh, Strike Force. They're basically Cobra Vipers from G.I. Joe with half the charisma and all of the stupid plastic bubble vehicles. (laughs) None of the stupid plastic bubble vehicles. I love those things. Uh, I have to say I agree with Michael with the choice of team members. That's not to say Wildcat, Star Spangled Kid, and Huntress aren't interesting characters. They totally are. Wildcat is one of my favorite characters of all time. It's just this didn't seem like a Justice Society story. It seemed like a backdoor pilot for a spinoff series. It's like the it's like the odd couple and a chick, and I know I've been building a slow appreciation for Joe's statement, but good God, what the hell happened to Ted Grant? He looks like he could be the father of Eric Stoltz's character in Mass. <laughs> wow, he does. He does. Um, I don't doubt that Julie Schwartz. The, I don't doubt that's Julie Schwartz and the hostess ad. Something tells me back in the day he just walked around the city seeing weird crap like this and shrugging it off as he gladly ate fruit pies. Jose A. Rivera. P.S. I'm starting to love when you guys talk about cover art. It reminded me of something you said a few weeks ago about possibly doing a show of artists who didn't get their due. Is that still on the radar? That is still on the radar. That's one of those back burner projects that Scott's always spouting off about that he fully intends to bump to the front burner. And uh, I want to do that real soon. I really, really do. So it's just a matter of of getting it scheduled on the docket at this point. But, yeah, I've had that idea for a very long time. That actually spins out of an idea of a long, excellent conversation that should have gotten recorded between uh, Will Sanchez and I quite a long time ago. And uh, after, you know, we talked for like, I don't know, like four or five hours on the subject. And then afterwards, we both stopped and there was this long pause. We were like, why didn't we record that? It was awesome. So, yeah, we want to try to recapture that that magic if possible. So, yeah, stay tuned. We will do it eventually. Next up, we have another email from our buddy Steve Rogers. I love that name, by the way. It must be awesome to have a name like that, you know? Or or maybe not so awesome. Maybe you would get really tired of it after a while. Oh, Captain America! (laughs) He's like, yeah, shut up, fucking dumbass. Like, I haven't heard that a million times in my life. Anyway, his is entitled, A Rebuttal. 
Dun, dun, dun. He says, hey, guys, I noticed that you didn't get a chance to read on the air my attempt at making nice by being the official researcher of all things Earth 2 from Flash 123 through All-Star number 58. That's because you didn't listen to the next episode yet. Um, but we did, didn't, didn't we? <laughs> we yeah, oh, yeah, that, we, right? Okay. Um, just wanted uh, to do a rebuttal on a couple of points. I probably feel the way I do because I'm probably more of a casual observer of the actual comics as opposed to an avid comic collector. Now, I do have things I'm passionate about, Star Trek, Superman, Batman, Star Wars, etc., but I'm not as gung-ho as you guys are, I guess. Maybe that's why it doesn't bother me as much, I don't know, but there is somewhat, but there is somewhat of an explanation. Nothing wrong with that. That's mm-hmm. cool. Not at all. Actually, there's times I wish I could I could tone it back a little bit and be a little more casual about these things because, you know, I, I I know that listeners enjoy hearing me rant and rave sometimes, but sometimes it kind of sort of sucks to be that guy that gets really <laughs> fucking worked up when they reboot Star Trek and shit like that, you know? Yeah. There, there's a comedy aspect, but then there's also like, you know, I got to live with me, you know? <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> his next point is, uh, yeah, the NHL is big in the Northeast, especially with the Buffalo Sabres in the Rochester area. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Boston Bruins didn't have some claim to that territory. And of course, the Flyers and Penguins are quite the toast of Pennsylvania. But I was referring to how the NHL gets perceived on the national level, especially on outlets such as ESPN, where they only seem to focus on the NHL once the postseason comes around. And even uh, that, it seems, just for the conference finals and the Stanley Cup finals. I don't know, dude. Um, Michael made a very, um, po- I guess, politically correct edit in that episode, but uh, I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll put it on the table. The the one thing that you said in that email, I mean, there was a lot of meat in that email, a lot of a lot of stuff laid out for like some real argument, some real uh, heated things. The only thing you said in there that that kind of needled me a little bit was the dig on the NHL, and I don't know if it even was an intentional dig. I, I would just I disagree with you. I, I disagree wholeheartedly. The NHL is a real sport. And uh, what I get a kick out of is when you see these shows. I remember watching something a while ago that was – it was supposed to be a debate on who are the greatest – you know, which sport has the greatest athletes. And, you know, they were making – you know, everybody on this panel was making their argument for their, you know, favorite sport or whatever. And I don't remember hockey even coming up. But they finally decided on basketball had the greatest athletes and I laughed my ass off. Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, you know, granted, I know that it's more than just guys running up and down the court, which is, you know, that's the thing you hear all the time. People say when they, when they knock this, oh, hey, any asshole can run back and forth and dribble a ball. Well, no, they can't. <laughs> no. But at the same rate, you know, being a hockey player, you are an all around fucking athlete. If you're a hockey player, because you've got to have balance, you've got to have coordination, You've got to be three-fourths fucking ballet dancer on skates just to just to perform in the sport. But then you've got to be, you know, a, a good part like friggin' linebacker because you've got to be able to not only deliver a hit but to take a hit too. Mm-hmm. You've got to have. I mean, there's just incredible, incredible skill that going goes into being even a halfway decent 
hockey player, not to mention an extraordinary hockey player. Those guys are the best athlete in any sport, and I defy anybody to, to prove me different in that. Anyway, he goes on to say, you know, I'd wager that there are just as many people who look down on the knuckleheads who do the body paint and weird garb or do things that call attention to themselves at sporting events uh, just as they look down upon the Star Trek juror or people who dress up in inappropriate situations. I totally disagree with that, but respect your opinion. There are plenty of places, including the national media, that label them as attention whores, people that take fandom to the extreme and whatnot. See, the reason I disagree with that, though, is that when you see that asshole that's painted blue, that's sitting out in the you know the, the 20 degree weather in Buffalo cheering for his team and all that, nine times out of ten, when they show that on the evening news, they chuckle and they laugh and it's all funny, funny, you know. But they show mm-hmm. the same Star Trek nerd, then it it's inevitably followed by a derogatory comment. You know, it, it's yes. always look at the freak, look at the freak. Let's point and stare and laugh at the freak. But they don't do that. To these sports people, it's always like, oh, he, you know, he's got a lot of team spirit. What a great guy! And it's horseshit, it's hypocrisy, and it really pisses me off. Anyway, so it isn't a situation where one thing gets praise and the other thing gets looked down upon. Yes, it is, dude. Yes, it totally is. I actually agree with the point. Uh, what's good for the goose should be good for the gander. Well, you're right. It should, but it's not. Uh, the Big Bang Theory showrunners are actually more like you guys than you'd think. Well, now you're getting nasty. Just so you know uh, that this isn't the uh, Norman Lear creating Archie Bunker so that the audience can laugh at him and people who think like him. And they also have staff behind the scenes to make certain things uh, on the show are authentic. So it's closer to Kevin Smith uh, than it is to a couple of white guys creating Amos and Andy. Steve. Um I don't know. I'm going to just let that lie where it where it is because again, I I wholeheartedly disagree. Yeah, I I I I kind of disagree with it too, only because Archie Bunker wasn't created so people could laugh at him. Archie Bunker was created so that you could explore certain subjects in a comedic light. It's not like he was created. You know, so that, you know, of Norman Lear showing, oh, look like, look what a jackass this guy is. Let's laugh at him. It's like he's saying things that real people say. And maybe we should think about that. And, uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad that you let that lie because he mentioned Kevin Smith and I know your feelings on him. <laughs> yeah. He's a traitor to the cause. <laughs> All righty. The next one. Uh, thanks for writing, Steve. Um, the next one is episode number 16, Scott and Michael. This is from Trent Thornton. It says, Scott and Michael, thanks for reading my email in episode 16. It felt some, it felt good to get some of that bullshit off my chest, i.e. geek elitism. As I listened to the podcast, it occurred to me that I hadn't ever given you guys props for doing the podcast in the first place. No, you don't have to give us props. Yes, he does. I wouldn't say I'm the world's most knowledgeable JSA fan. Yes, I'm ignoring that. I had a <laughs> I had a tremendous affection for Alan Scott and Jay Garrick and was a little turned off by how they were treated during the 90s. Mm-hmm. Your podcast has helped provide me with not only an appreciation for the JSA, but for all things Earth, too. Given the relative ease which comics can be obtained these days via torrents, it, it's been relatively easy to obtain runs of JSA comics. Comparing the new stuff to the old stuff, I feel like the modern incarnation of the JLA, uh, 
did he mean JLA or JSA? I guess he means JSA. Suffers from not being published in an Earth 2 type environment. Feels like something got lost when DC eliminated the multiverse back in the 80s and folded everything into a single, quote unquote, unified continuity. Much prefer the Earth 2 approach where the JLA exists in a similar reality. Now you did it. (laughs) Now you said JLA. (laughs) Yes, I did. I much prefer the Earth 2 approach where the JSA exists in a reality similar to, in key ways, vastly different not only from our world, but also Earth 1. My question, therefore, is this. If you guys could have your druthers, would the JSA exist as they do in modern continuity, or would they be returned to Earth 2? Wow. This, I love this email, by the way, Um, because this is something I struggle with. Given the way that that the universe is now, and the fact that the Crisis on Infinite Earths is largely undone, then I kind of wish that whatever thing it was that brought the multiverse back, was that 52? Yes. I wish that it had just gone for broke and just totally undone it. Just reset the whole friggin' thing back to 1985-86 and brought back the original multiverse, Earth 2 and everything. Because I think they're trying to half-ass it. Now, I think they're trying to, you know, please both camps. But if you had asked me this same question, you know, within the first, say, five years or so post Crisis on Infinite Earths, I'd have been like, hell no. Because at that time, I felt like it was really working. I felt like the promise of Crisis was being fulfilled, that, that they had unified the worlds they had unified the history and everything was was going right along hunky-dory i wasn't happy that certain characters were lost and certain continuities were lost but overall i like the idea of the jsa being the original team and inspiring everyone else you know that everything else comes out of them including superman and batman i think that's a neat idea and i really liked the way it worked but you know, somewhere along the line, um, in that 20 years, it just, it all kind of fell apart to where we're at the point that we're at now. So, I mean, if they wanted to, to rescind Crisis and, and bring back this Earth to and all that, while I agree, you know, because we talked about this a while back, that it would be hard to recapture that magic and, and it probably wouldn't feel the same and we wouldn't be as happy with it as we think we would. I agree with that, but at the same rate, I'm not opposed to trying. Um, I basically agree with you. It's, 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 it's one of the uh, paradoxes of my love of Earth 2 and of the All-Star Squadron is I love it being on our Earth 2, but given everything that came out of Crisis, it's just like, well, you know, if that never would have happened, we might not have gotten Wally West as the Flash. Mm-hmm. We might not have gotten Kyle Rayner, and right. John Byrne might not have come to Superman. So, you know, it, basically everything you said, uh, yeah, it'd be kind of nice now. Uh, I don't think it would be the same. I think I think it would... I think like everything they're bringing back now, I think it would be tainted somehow, right? By uh, by a bad decision here and there, and tainted as DC is as a whole, as a company right now. But I'm not going to get off on that rant because we're trying I, to get I would, these emails. Yeah, I I know what you mean. Yeah, this I think I think this is definitely a topic for us to come back to at some yes. point and reexamine. Um. 
maybe even like in its own special, you know, its own yeah. standalone special discussing the idea. Because I, I see pros and cons to it. Because I, th- I think one of the biggest arguments against is that JSA annual number one that came out not long ago. I enjoyed it, but it should have been awesome. And it yeah, was it, it's it, it yeah, just was it, I mean, cool. the, the artwork was great. Mm-hmm. Loved seeing Jerry Ordway on that. But basically what DC said uh, said to us, the fans, is that it's like Earth 2, but it's not the Earth 2 you remember. Right. It's a different Earth 2. I would sum it up with one word. It was bittersweet. They were yeah. trying to give me what they thought I wanted and I appreciated the effort, but guys, it just wasn't the same, you know? So, yeah. Um, Overall, I'm really getting into the All-Star comics and I've been enjoying the podcast. At this point, my only regret is that I wasn't alive and collecting comics when these books were first published. Well, go along with (laughs) that. Neither were we. (laughs) Uh, You were alive. I was alive, but I mean, most all of this stuff, especially what we're covering right now, most of it I, I collected as back issues. In unrelated news, Scott's theory on Captain America that he shared in episode number 16 could very well be true. Truth is, I've not kept up very much with the Captain America's development, in part because I'm a DC guy, and in part because the last Captain America movie was MST3K fodder. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Uh, given the state of Hollywood's fascination in comics, though, my own personal view is that it would take more than a god-awful Captain America movie to kill mainstream interest in comics properties. Frankly, I expect the Cap movie to be bastardized because of politically correct insecurities around, revolving excuse me, around the character's patriotic outfit and name. Mm-hmm. Still, Michael raised a good point on Hollywood on how Hollywood folks tend to view comics. I surely can't be the only one who remembers John Glover's interview on the Batman and Robin DVD, where he mentioned Joel Schumacher before each scene was shot, saying the words to the effect of, Remember, everyone, we're making a cartoon! I remember that interview. I've always found it mystifying how Hollywood has struggled to filter their approach to comics through the ends of myth, rather through the lens of camp or absurdity or cartoonishness, or perhaps something else entirely. This is strange given their presumed friendliness towards other mythical works uh, of absolute fantasy outside the comics genre. It's sort of understandable that a movie exec wouldn't under, wouldn't necessarily understand. If they did get it, they'd probably be directors themselves. Take the upcoming Superman reboot, for example. Part of my fear is that we'll end up with Shia LaBeouf as Superman, Taylor Swift as Lois, and some fucking hack McDouche nozzle like Mark Steven Johnson as the director. Terrifying though such a prospect is, it makes sense on some levels because execs thinks only in terms of formulas. For directors to be so utterly incompetent, however, is indeed strange. On another unrelated topic, you mentioned how you guys mentioned how reluctant you've become in bashing on a certain comic book character or creator because there's always some asshole in the listening audience who will take offense. I, I, I'd never said asshole. I never. I just said that you know there's there's somebody out there that you know you always run the risk of offending somebody or hurting somebody's feelings because there's something that they're into and you're dogging it. But I I never said that they were assholes. Would now be a bad time to mention that I mostly absolutely despise Chris Nolan's Batman movies. Preach it, brother! And that I think both Burton films much better encapsulate what Batman is all about. 
do I already hear Scott's Scott vomiting in his mouth? <laughs> I get a kick out of that. Why would you think I would? I mean, because you hate the Burton films. I don't hate the Burton films. No, I don't. I I think that uh, they have their place in the Batman history and all that. I think that they were very close, but I think that uh, that they missed the mark. You know. Um, but no, I don't, I don't hate those. I hate the Chris Nolan films. I, I will definitely go on record with that. They missed the mark by a very broad margin. Whereas the the first Batman, the first Burton Batman, I, I thought, I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it, it was trying to to hit the mark, and it just. See, the problem I, I have with both of those franchises is that they get the trappings right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, okay, we, you know, let's see here. We got, okay, bat suit, check. Batmobile, check. You know, pointy ears, check. Uh, this, that, and the other, check, check, check. Okay, let's make a movie. And they sit down and they they put it together and they throw something out there. And somewhere in that process, somebody forgot to write a fucking Batman story. And it just doesn't work. It's like somebody making a pizza and then putting onions in the sauce. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, well... It's, uh, that's a bizarre thing, but I, but I actually went to a place that did that, and I'm like, onions have no place in the sauce. Onions, <laughs> if, if somebody wants onions on a pizza, they'll order it as a topping. Well, but, see, I like onions, and I, that actually sounds good to me. I'll, I'll go you one. I, I, I like your analogy, though. I think it would be like making a pizza, but instead of you know that that sauce, tomato sauce or whatever the hell it is, they put like Elmer's glue. You know, it's like one of your essential ingredients is totally fucking wrong. And that's what happens with those movies is that looks like a pizza, smells like a pizza. What the hell is this shit in the middle of it? You know, and that's what's the problem with those movies, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, Trent continues. I say bash away. A, people are way too fucking uptight about their sacred cows. I love this guy. A little bit of perspective goes a long way. B, nobody tunes into any podcast, talk show, radio show, or anything else without wanting to hear the opinions of the host. <laughs> I love Burton's Batmans, but if you guys don't, feel free to say so. Nah, we've talked about that enough, I think. If you think Guy Gardner is the greatest Green, Lan- Green Lantern e- ever, I'll send you email agreeing with you. Uh, no. No. Um, I'll tell you what, though. it's I, I applaud the... Uh, Gosh, his name is escaping me at the moment. But the guy Trent. who's been writing um, the Green Lantern Corps book. Peter Tomasi? Yes, thank you. I applaud him for turning my opinion of that character around because I'm not always the most open-minded guy. I mean, when I form opinions, they're pretty hard to shake a lot of times. And I've been under the opinion ever since I was introduced to that character that he was a complete fucking asshole and I just would never be a fan of him and could never understand the fandom behind that character, especially in the, in the, uh, oh, what the hell decade was that? The 80s or 90s when he was in the the JLI? Uh, Late 80s, early 90s. When he was such a dick, you know? I just never understood the fan following behind him. But I like the way that Tomasi has really made that character step up and be kind of cool, kind of an interesting. He's he's actually a character now. He's he's a, a fully formed, three dimensional person rather than just a caricature, which is what I thought he was before. Yeah. So yeah, not, well, not my favorite, but yeah, he's cool now. Uh, you know, at, at the expense of uh, us, you know getting through the emails and not going on another tangent. I could actually sit there and argue Guy Gardner with you, but we're not going to do that right now. 
Um, not not because I think you're wrong, just because I think it would be an interesting debate to have it. A uh, debate to have at some oh, point. Taking which tack though that he is or that he isn't. Uh, that I liked him during that era. Oh, okay. So, uh, if you uh, Trent continues, if you think Grant Morrison needs to be tarred, feather, and run out of town, I'll add only that Dan DiDio and Jeff John should be next. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I I still say. I still like most of what Jeff Johns does. So, um, Finally, I'm a tremendous fan of the Views from the Long Box episode Michael and Scott did together concerning, first, the sad and utterly tragic state of affairs related to the Superman books nowadays, before moving on to larger problems with DC and the comics industry in general. It's the rare podcast episode that actually has repay, a repeat play value, but the Catharsis episode does. Awesome. <laughs> the Catharsis episode. That's what I, I called it. Uh... <laughs> With an eye on that, I'd be very interested to hear what Michael and Scott think about the rumors of David, my Batman Begins script was subtle as a fucking jackhammer goyer writing a new Superman movie allegedly based on the Burn Age revamp. Other than that, you guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. All right. Our last one is from Ian Robinson. Have we heard from Ian Robinson before? I think we have. Okay, cool. This one is just entitled Geek to Rants. Uh-oh. He says, hey there, Mike and Scott. On at least two of the last podcasts, I've been sort of taken aback by the vehement rants about how pissed off you both are that geek culture has been taken mainstream. You would think that I can't read the way I stumble through these emails sometimes. I know you can't. (laughs) It reminds me of how some friends of mine in early high school got insanely pissed off that alternative music was suddenly everywhere. Their niche counterculture obsession was suddenly invaded by the people who called them weirdos just a few months before, and it drove them so nuts that they would periodically burst out in rants, much like the one where you went off on people wearing superhero t-shirts. As someone that uh, you would probably call a non-geek, though my girlfriend would probably dispute that, I was shocked to realize that you were talking about people like me. Growing up, I was never picked on for reading comics or sci-fi, nor do I ever uh, recall being called a geek, nerd, dork, etc. Maybe that's because I was always, quote, the artist guy. Uh, maybe it's because I was 6'4 and 190 pounds by ninth grade. Yeah, that might have had something to do with it. That being said, I've been reading comics for the last 15 years, gone to several conventions, and even started a little indie comic comics line with my friend Jim in college. Mostly, I read the more underground stuff, like Cerebus, titles from Kitchen Sink, Dark Horse, Graphics, etc. Lately, I've been going back and filling in the holes in reading of the mainstream comics, which has led me to podcasts such as yours, where I was thrown uh, for a loop by the screed against people, which includes, at least on Scott's part, somebody like me. What the hell? All right, I'm going to stop right there. Dude... If you've been reading comics for the last 15 years, going to conventions, and started up a little indie comics line of your own, you are totally not the person that we were talking about, okay? Whether or not you've actually ever been called a geek or whether you consider yourself a geek, you're pretty much in the brotherhood, dude. Now, I'm not saying that to insult you. Don't get me wrong. I wear geek as a badge. You know, I'm happy to be a geek and consider myself a geek. I don't think it's a thing to be ashamed about. What I take offense to is when somebody uses it like it's a fucking racial epithet against me. That shit pisses me off. That's kind of what I was talking about. Yeah, I was, I was going to kind of say the same thing. It's just, uh, you know, I, I'm, 
as much as Scott and I will stick to our guns on the things we say, we don't intentionally say things to offend people. So it, but I'm just kind of surprised that Ian took, was taken aback and kind of put himself in the camp of, of the, like, let's say for an example, the, you know, the jock douchebag that wears the Superman shirt, because I don't see him and that guy even in the same ballpark. Right. So, but that's just me. I think now, now let me let me presume to to speak for both of us for a second. I think what we were getting at is the guy that you know the 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 stereotypical jock douchebag that's picked on geeks, made fun of geeks, slapped him around on the school bus or whatever all his life. Then suddenly, you know, movie X comes out and it's a you know it's a geek. And let's say Iron Man just as an example. Suddenly, this same jock douchebag, suddenly he loves Iron Man because the Iron Man movie was cool. So he goes and he gets himself an Iron Man t-shirt. Now, all of a sudden, he wants to act like he's in the fucking club and probably still goes on with his daily routine of picking on you know geeks on the school bus. That's the kind of shit I'm talking about. The ones that act like they want to be a part of the fucking club, but they're not. They're just on some bandwagon. You know, That's the shit that I think that we're talking about, and it really pisses me off. But anyway, I didn't want to turn this into another ranting episode. Yeah, me too. So, uh, he says, I own three Superman shirts, a Green Lantern short, shirt, and an assortment of what you'd call geeky t-shirts. I love Superman. I read the comics, and I read the novels like Last Days of Krypton. That was a good one, by the way. Hell, I even want, uh, started watching Smallville again. Uh, I'd left after they killed Jonathan Kent. But I'd probably be one of those people uh, you'd look at on the street and think, fuck you. Why, why do you think that, dude? I'm really, really right back to us and let us know. I'm really curious why you would think that. Anyway, he says, uh, not everyone, excuse me, not everybody who doesn't fit your definition of geek is some fucking poser. Scratch the surface of, of most people and you f- you'll find that they're a geek about something. Oh, I definitely agree with that. For example, my buddy Heath ended up crashing at my house the other night um, after a couple too many at the bar. He's a graphic designer and a musician, and the last person you would label a geek if you saw him out at the bar. In the morning, I found him on my couch reading one of my Green Lantern, Green Arrow trades from my collection. He acted like I'd caught him masturbating. (laughs) I informed him that I'd planned on spending the money, uh, excuse me, spending the morning reading comics anyway, uh, so he could stick around and tossed him some other trades I had on the shelf. After a couple hours of reading, we ended up talking about DC and Marvel Comics Universe's history for hours. Uh, the guy had read damn near everything in the last 20 years, and he ended up staying for dinner while we kept bickering over events like 52 and Civil War. My point, is, my point is this. I and people like Heath may not be as immersed in geek culture as you guys. We don't go to all the conventions or discuss our obsessions with everyone we meet. That doesn't mean that we don't love the same things that you do. It doesn't mean that we can't wear the shirts or buy the action figures. I've got a ton of those. I've never given anybody shit for loving something geeky. Why should I have to take shit for loving it too? That being said, I love the show. Keep it up. Rants and all. Later, Ian. P.S. I kind of like Big Bang Theory, too. <laughs> okay. The, the one thing I'm going to say on this email, uh, outside of, you know, I'm loving that people are arguing with us. But I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, like you said, why did Ian think we were talking about him? Because, you know, he, he mentions that 
you know, he doesn't go to all the conventions or discuss his obsessions with everyone we, we meet. I don't think Scott and I want that either. At least I don't. You know, I, I, I am not an evangelist when it comes to comic books. I'm not standing on the corner preaching the good word of DC Comics, especially nowadays because there isn't so much good word to be talking about. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I had to get my dig in. No, no, I, 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 for a lot, I don't know quite how to explain this. I've never been the type to push my fandom on other people. Right. Uh, simply because if they're not interested, it's going to be really obnoxious for them. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you because I've often been the same way myself. I mean, I'm not even comfortable sometimes when I when I realize, you know, talking to someone that, wow, this person's a fellow geek. It takes me a while to, to warm up and, and be willing to express my own uh, geekism, you know, in that conversation. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not like that. At least I don't I don't believe that I am. Um. But yeah, I'm I'm really taken aback a bit by by his letter and wondering what what got said to make him feel like we were singling him out in particular because it doesn't sound at all like he fits the criteria of what we were talking about. I mean I mean I mean I hope he was saying that 52 was better than Civil War because it was. But, but that's just me. <laughs> That's just me. We'll ignore the Big Bang Theory thing. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's funny though because ultimately, you know, if you saw me out and about in daily life, I, I think that unless you had seen a, a picture of me or, or something like that, you'd never know, you know, that that I'm the the big old geek that I am, you know, because nine times out of ten, I'm not wearing. You know, any geek identifying marks. You, you know, I don't have like I don't always wear. You know, a geek-related T-shirt, or whatever. nine times out of ten, I'm out. You know, I'm out in blue jeans and a in a polo or something. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we're maybe we're guilty of a little bit of stereotyping ourselves. I'm not sure. It's quite possible. Wouldn't be the first time. Won't be the last. Either. Won't be the last. No. <laughs> so we're gonna get into All Star Comics number seventy-two, a thorn. By any other names, has a June 1978 cover date. Cost a whopping 35 cents to the people back then. Was written by Paul Levitz, drawn penciled by Joe Staten, inked by Bob Layton, uh, edited by Joe Orlando, and our roll call, which again is missing, but I'm going to make up one on the spot, is The Flash, Green Lantern, Power Girl, Huntress, Wildcat. And I believe Hawkman makes Hawkman. an appearance mm-hmm. in this. Yes. We begin in Keystone City. Green Lantern, Flash, Power Girl, Huntress, and Wildcat stand around the body of a detective killed by the Thorn. Chief Farber asks for their help, and now that the team is back to full strength, they are happy to give it. After a quick panel explaining that the Star-Spangled Kid vouched for Huntress as he was announcing his leave of absence, the team gets word that Thorne is striking again at the courthouse where her target is Judge Anders. Meanwhile, in the Nile Valley, Shiera asks Carter if she can join him on his trip back to home to check in with the JSA. Carter says no because one of them has to supervise the dig, and besides, he wants to show off his new costume. He's styling. Yeah. And profiling. Suddenly, the shadow from Dr. Fate's tower sweeps over Carter. 
Back in Keystone, Flash saves Judge Anders from Thorne's goons, only to have the judge killed from a distance by Thorne herself. The JSA attacks with Wildcat getting to Thorne first, but she scratches him with one of her thorns and Wildcat falls. Thorne and her gang escape as the JSA takes Wildcat to the hospital. Later at that hospital, the JSAers discuss Wildcat's condition and death in general before the doctor comes out and gives the team the skinny on Wildcat's condition. Apparently, a previous brain injury is keeping the poison from killing him, but it also prevents them from helping the former help, helping the former heavyweight champ. Power Girl realizes that the frost ray that the icicle used to take over Wildcat's mind must be behind the braid injury in Wildcat's recent punch drunkiness, I guess is the best way to say that. The doctor says that they might be able to reverse the damage with the frost ray, and before she can say yes or no, Green Lantern whisks Huntress off to fetch it via a green bubble. As Power Girl boasts that the team can take care of... One woman without superpowers, a nurse watches from the shadows. Turns out that this nurse is actually the thorn in her everyday identity of Rose. She had spent time in jail and was supposedly cured of her uh, multiple personality disorder, but all that did was allow Thorn to have control over both identities. After listening to the JSA's plans, Rose makes a phone call and promises herself that she will have an extra surprise for them, or maybe two. The Huntress arrives at the Brownstone and is shocked at what she finds inside. Back in the key, back in Keystone, the JSA finally decide to go into action when suddenly Thorn and her goons attack in the hospital. She, she even has backup as the Sportsmaster arrives, and suddenly a battle that Power Girl thought would be easy turns south for the JSA in a hurry. Eventually, Green Lantern gets knocked out thanks to a rocket-powered baseball bat. Well, yeah, you just can't say it with a straight face. While Flash runs into Power Girl while trying to foolishly save her invulnerable hide, and when the dust clears, Thorn and her gang are gone. Back at the Brownstone, Huntress's guest is revealed to be the original, villainous Huntress, who is none too pleased that Helena is using her name. And next issue, the Huntress, trapped by the evil original, Wildcat waiting at death's door, the Thorn takes over, and the Secret of the Shadow, be it ever so deadly, on sale the third week in April. And my copy is falling apart even further. God damn it, i got to get a new copy of this book. Aww. <laughs> it's very sad. The back I... is completely falling off. <laughs> That's Sorry. never cool. I liked this issue. That's it's... a definite step up from the last story. Yeah. It's goofy, and it's kind of silly, and it's kind of awesome. I liked it. And the art is really, really nice. And, uh... Sadly, whoever it was that, that tipped us off in an email about the uh, the inker was right because this is the last one by uh, by Bob Layton, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna miss him. But uh, yeah, well, I thought it was a good mix of villains and a lot of fun superhero action. I don't know why, for a guy that really doesn't care for sports very much, I like the Sportsmaster. I think he's cool. I think he's a classic villain that's that's really pretty awesome. It's got a goofy as hell outfit, too. Yeah, but it's cool. Um, For me, my notes are are pretty simple. Page four, we mentioned Hawkman's new look. It's a welcome improvement. Uh, Page eight. I don't know if you picked up on this. It was very odd. 
But uh, let me get to page eight before I start talking about page eight, because it would it would seem like I was prepared if I did so. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Where the hell? I've got a bunch of notes too, so we'll just we'll we'll. Do oh, it. I'm looking in the wrong book. <laughs> Mike the dumbass. I'm trying not to open this. Yay! Book. So on page eight, um, the huntress is talking to Power Girl. And she goes, no one no one goes on forever, friend. I learned that the hard way. First, dad. Now, Wildcat. <laughs> I do have a note about this. And I'm like, what? <laughs> My note says simply, did Huntress forget which of her parents is the dead one? <laughs> I just had a, a question about where this story is supposed to fall in the order of the stories being told. But anyways... Uh, if you're thinking what I think you're thinking, then that story's quite a ways down the road yet. So, yeah. I think somebody just kind of fucked up. <laughs> um, page nine, I, I, I'm not sure that I like the explanation of Wildcat's current condition. Uh, just, just you know, the freeze ray made him talk like an idiot. Is yeah. that supposed to, to believe from this? I don't get the thing with the freeze ray and why that has to do with his sudden, suddenly gone stupid. But I like that they were trying to explain it somehow because I really hated how he went it, went from talking however he was talking before to suddenly he's talking like Ben Grimm. So I, <laughs> I like that they were trying to give us something of an explanation. And it's just weird. You know, I'm no doctor, but I've watched a lot of ER. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> so here's a question. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if the Thorn had been put in jail, wouldn't her identity be public? And if that's the case, why doesn't the JSA track down who she really is and realize, hey, she works at the fucking hospital we're at? I've come to the conclusion that as much as I love these guys, they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer sometime, <laughs> detective-wise, you know? Yeah. Ever since Batman quit the team, their their deductive skills have dropped by 100%. So, I don't know. That's a good question, though. But, uh, yeah, it was just very poor planning on their part. Uh, I did like that the sport, uh, like you said, I like kind of how the sportsmaster was introduced. Uh, the Flash is a complete idiot in this issue. Yeah, I haven't cared for his characterization at all. And next issue, it's even worse. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting use of the Huntress, the old one, mm-hmm. at least. I, I like I like how the two are fighting now. And then that, that, that it shows a nice... Nice uh, knowledge on the writer's part of the history of Earth 2 and the Golden Age. Right. But also, that's a natural, if you know of the the Golden Age Huntress, that's a natural, like, hey, maybe these two should meet up. So he does it right away. And I really liked that. So (laughs) those are my basic uh, notes outside of, again... I really need a new copy of this issue. Um, Well, my notes are, as typical for Scott, are are more like nitpicky style notes. But uh, here we go in quick order. Um, The detective that they're talking to right from the beginning of the issue, right on the splash page, could totally be played by Dick Cavett. Um, On page (laughs) page two. And he also has the uh, problem with the growing and shrinking chin that... uh, (laughs) I love Joe Staten, but yeah, he does have a problem sometimes with profiles. People will look one way and then look another, and their chin will 
suddenly go all Jay Leno for a panel or so, and then it's back to normal. It's kind of strange. Hey, am, am I back on NBC? I mean, I'm back on NBC. <laughs> all right, page two, last panel, The Flash. Um, I think you need to be doing that alone somewhere, dude. <laughs> Is he playing pocket pool? He's kind of, you know, I don't know. Now that I know the term, I'm very amused by it. (laughs) Pocket pool is specifically in your pocket, though, so it's much more subtle, (laughs) you know? You can do that and maybe not, you know, you can maybe get away with it and people don't know a game's going on. This is pretty overt right here. It's disturbing. (laughs) It's really, really disturbing. Now, page five, I love this. Thorn shows up. Her goons are totally wearing Chlorophyll Kids spare costumes. Yes, they are. Oh my god, I never thought about that. <laughs> wow. Okay, I can't remember what the hell page this note was taken from. Uh, I should have made a note about this, but I, I failed to. But anyway, there is a mention somewhere in the text that once again... Neither Dr. Fate nor Hawkman could answer their damn meeting summons. And it's like, wow, this is getting to be a real habit with these guys. Yes. Anyway, when they're all running away on page three, fourth panel, mm-hmm. what is Flash doing right there? Because it almost looks like he's creating like something that he's running on in the sky or something, doesn't it? That is kind of bizarre. You're absolutely right. I mean, does he have that ability? I don't know. I just... <laughs> I just noticed that panel you were talking about. What? With the Flash playing with himself. Yeah! Sorry, I had to go, because I don't want to damage the book anymore, and I do have to reopen it for the ads, but uh, I wanted to look through my trade, and oh my god. He's getting it, man, I'm telling you. It's wrong. They shouldn't put that shit in a kitty book. It's not right. Oh god, anyways. Okay. Now, as they take off on their mission here, what the hell page am I looking at now? Okay, top of page six. All right, didn't the Huntress just join this team? Already she's barking orders and ordering the Flash around. Now, the Flash has been on the team since the 40s. That would kind of piss me off a little bit. Maybe you know, that's why uh, that's why Green Lantern kind of puts her in her place later oh, in the issue. Maybe that's why. I was trying to find an answer to why in the hell did they send the rookie on the important life-saving mission when she didn't even want to go. So maybe that's why he's like, all right, I'm going to show this bitch a thing or two. Maybe that's exactly what it is. Okay, how did Wildcat get to the top of the building so fast on page six? Because Green Lantern and, and Huntress... One is flying, one is swinging. He beats them to the top of that building. How does he do that? I don't know. (sighs) Okay. Huntress, what is it with kicking people in the stomach? That's just... Hit them in the bread box. I guess. God. Okay. Let's see here. Oh, I got a question for you. Because I think Huntress brings up a really good point here. I forget what the hell page it was on. Again, I forgot to, to make a note of this. But she talks about the fact that she was basically bred to be a jsa You know, she mm-hmm. says her training started right from birth, basically. So I'm wondering, does this potentially make Huntress the best jsa do you think? I'll agree with that because I've always been of the opinion that... Um, that um, Nightwing... 
should be a better hand-to-hand combatant than Batman. Simply because he had been trained longer. Right. Comparatively. Plus, you know, Bruce Wayne was, you know, was physically fit. But I always got the sense that until he was eight years old, he was just kind of a normal kid. Right. You know, unless he was one, you know, one of the parents that sent him to karate. But even then, that doesn't make you like, uh, you know, that doesn't put you into hard physical training unless you're like going off to a freaking monastery or learning, you know, karate so you can fight Johnny in the tournament because he almost killed you that night. Mr. Miyagi managed to save you. Well, plus he's the son of a of a rich guy, so you would think that that would lend to him being a little, you know, foppish anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? But Dick Grayson from birth had been trained to do something physical. Right. With being a, a, an acrobat and a gymnast by extension. Sorry, when Bruce Wayne tr- started Dick on his training at like 10, and then it's like 10 years later where he's not only learned from Bruce, but probably picked up a lot and, and incorporated his gym, uh, his acrobatic style into his fighting form, making him kind of like Captain America almost. I would say by the time Dick is Bruce's age, he's the best, bar none. No questions asked. This guy, it's, it's, it's almost like it's been bred into his uh, physiology that he moves like that. So the only, I'll agree with that. The only argument I can think of off the top of my because I agree with you, I really do. The only argument I can think of to counter that would be possibly that you, I think you could argue that Bruce Wayne would be more driven to be the best than than Dick Grayson because I, I can agree with that. You know, Dick doesn't ever seem to me like the kind of guy who basically he seemed to me like he came to terms with his parents' death that that it wasn't the motivating factor of his entire life and existence that, you know, he, he stuck with the superhero thing, but it wasn't his end all be all. He still was able to have a life and relationships and be basically a more or less normally adjusted person. Whereas Bruce Wayne isn't, he remained damaged from what was done to him and his sole drive, his sole thing was his war on crime and making himself, you know, the perfect fighter for that you know for that uh war yeah so but i I, you know i also tend to think that that may actually work against him being the best that uh you know that dick might be better just for that being more well adjusted i don't know i I don't (laughs) know if that logic follows or not which is why Alfred being put into the backstory earlier after the crisis works really well for me. Yes, because he was there for Dick to, you know, to basically go, um, "Master Bruce, you're damaged goods. This kid's not going to be damaged goods, and I'm going to have something to do with that." Right. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Well, my last note for this, and this carries for most of the panels with this character, page twelve, very last panel. That bitch ain't right. She looks like one of them alien hybrid people that you she hear about. She looks like a Frank Robbins drawing. Yeah, she does. She really does. Yeah. And I don't know if it's purposeful or not, but yeah. I mean, there's another one on page 18, second panel. She just looks wrong. I mean, that's she's one of the creepiest looking villains I've seen in a while. Oh, and uh, Flash is totally using some Grecian formula, dude. <laughs> 
beyond that, that's all I got for this one. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, so did I. Very, very solid issue. Good. Not that I hated the previous storyline, but a good improvement. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of sad when you think this is the third to last issue uh-huh. of All-Star Comics proper. And then we never heard about the Justice Society again. Yeah. Sorry. We're going to be we're going to be done after episode like 21 people. Sorry. It was a fun run, but not just kidding. Um <laughs> Well, we got some ads. We got some great freaking ads this time. Uh, we got, you know, Grit and uh, you know, Clark Bars, but on the opposite of page 5 was an <gasps> ad I thought you would love. Yeah, this is for some sort of Star Wars. It says become a Star Warrior. I love this. I read this whole article too and there was one thing I wanted to Oh, here it is. Right here. They're all here. The Jedi Knights, Luke Skywalker, R2-D2, C-3PO, the Enchanting Princess, the Furry and Fierce Chewbacca, the Wookiee, Ben, Obi-Wan, Kenobi, the Wise. And then in parentheses it says, and will he return as promised? When the hell did he promise that he was going to return? I think the person that wrote this heard about Star Wars from somebody. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it seems to me that uh, this person really doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) I mean, I know there were Vader Lives t-shirts Yes, around that time, and that uh, you can speak to this better than I can, that there was probably some hot debate on what was going to be the fate of Darth Vader, and will he be in the next movie, and... yeah. Yeah, they're actually. Yeah, I do remember a little bit of speculation about that because it wasn't entirely clear that you know that Vader was going to survive on to the next movie because we just see him kind of spin off at the end of the movie, kind of thing. So yeah, I do distinctly remember the Vader Lives posters and T-shirts and all that. But I loved this ad, and I'm wondering: are they talking about the same fan club that would become Bantha? Tra- you know, the Bantha Tracks and all that, or is this something completely different? Because this doesn't look like it's an official Lucasfilm sponsored type of thingy. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, uh, this ad hasn't held up over the course of age, and I don't mean because it's a stupid ad. I mean just the 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 printing and the paper it's put yeah. on just makes it look like crap now. Yeah, it's hard to make out what some of the things are supposed to be. What else have we got here? The strangest showcase story in 21 years, 48 pages, and the most special of special issues, showcase number 100. Sensational Superstars. Yeah, I wish I had this. It looks really cool. I love that cover. Is that a Staten cover? It looks like a Staten cover. Um, I'll tell you in a second. Vent for me, boy. Vent for me. I can't tell. Yeah, it's a Staten cover. Yeah. It's cool. It's got Man, there's a ton of characters. I don't even think I can name all these people, but yeah, you got all uh, kinds of awesome Hawk characters. Dove, Spectre, Green, Lantern... Is that the Phantom Stranger? The Um, Metal Man? Tommy Tomorrow? Batlash? Batlash, yeah. Adam, Aquaman, Creeper. Yeah, a lot of those guys way in the background, I can't tell who they're... I think that one guy is Johnny Double, but I'm not sure. But yeah, that looks cool. I I wish I had more copies of Showcase. I really only have a couple. But I do have... I think it's number 34. Four, I think the first Adam, the first modern Ooh, age Adam, whatever cool. one that one is. <sighs> Satisfy your meat tooth. Really sick of seeing this ad. 
Did you miss any of these fantastic DC tabloids? Only the Superboy and the Legion one. Oh, and also I don't have the uh, Superman versus Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer one either. But I've got the other ones. I need to see that Best of DC. That's a great Neil Adams cover. Yes, it is. It's got some good stories in it, too. Yeah, it is. On opposite of page 11, you have the Can 4 Super Speed Superstars defeat Gorilla Grodd. Because, uh, man, Jay Garrick was in the Flash book a lot in the 70s. Yeah. Now, this uh, is one of those things, again, are we going to touch on this? or are we just? Well, I think we should at least touch on it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't I don't have that issue. So it's, it's yeah, I don't either. To, but discover Johnny oh, Quick in it as well. Yes. Discover the startling answer and the mightiest Flash epic of them all. And then Amazing World of DC Comics, number 17, special Shazam issue. This is... Um, a friend of mine had this comment. I'm going to steal it from him. It looks like they're about to kill this old man for his money. I don't know about that. I think like, they're all getting a chuckle out of the fact that Mary Marvel is totally given the wizard wood. That's what I think is going on in that picture. No, because it looks like they put the pretty girl in the old man's lap, and they're like, let's take a picture. And Captain Marvel is about 30 seconds from leaning over and snapping the old man's neck. <laughs> Freddie's totally doing her too, just just to tell you. So. I love the art in that picture, though. It's it's, really it's, a, it's it's a it's a very very creepy, if if not good, picture. <laughs> um, towards the end of the issue, across from page seventeen, you have now you yes you can read all about all about it in DC's new monthly newsletters, Direct Currents. I would love to have any issues of these that exist. Now I got the the later one that they did that was yeah, the, almost like a newspaper pamphlet type of thing like a it looked like a circular insert. I've got a really large collection of those cuz I scarfed them every time I went to the to the comic shop. And then they had that one that was kind of like a little I don't want to call it a magazine. Like um, a flyer. Yeah, it was like a flyer that yeah. was put out every month, and those were cool because they would have articles, they would have a classic cover on the back, and then it would break down. That's the one I think was called Direct Currents. The one I'm yeah. thinking of I think was called DC Releases, I think was yeah. the name of it. Yeah, yeah you're so, right. Uh, I'd like to know what this giant uh, 13 by 18 poster was. That it yeah. I hope it contains all those characters, well, except Shade the Changing Man, who, as I've said, don't give a shit. <laughs> um, I think that's a Joe Staten picture, though, because mm-hmm. that that looks like his Batman and his Wonder Woman. Uh, speaking of Wonder Woman, she and her Earth Two counterpart are the main feature on the Daily Planet page. Mm-hmm. Um, two Wonder Woman, Angle Man pairs princesses in past. I think that's the last issue of the run that we're going to address at some point, where Wonder Woman for a time became all about the Earth Two. Wonder Woman in World War II while the TV show was focusing on uh, Wonder Woman in World War II. So we'll be covering that at some point in the future. Yeah, that's actually um, that's actually addressed in the Ask the Answer Man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Whatever became of the Spectre, Dania Montgomery. Answer, he appeared in Wonder Woman number 241 and could pop up again at any time. Will there be any more tabloid editions? There are two on sale this week's. See the direct currents column in the planet. Unfortunately, one of those was a welcome back Cotter one. <laughs> and again, I ask, who gives a shit? <clears throat> now that Wonder Woman has been updated on TV, what about her comic? For that answer, see Wonder Woman number 243 on sale next week. 
what happened to the rest of the volumes of Mike Fleischer's Encyclopedia of Comic Book Heroes? Answer, Volume 3 is scheduled for release in late spring, spring or early summer. Now, that actually didn't come out as an encyclopedia of comic book heroes. Because the first one was Batman, the second one was Wonder Woman, the third one was supposed to be Superman, but that came out as the Great Superman book, uh, which mm. I, I have a copy of. Now, they've reprinted all three of these recently, and you can find them online pretty cheap. And they're kind of cool to have because of that. They have great uh, Jose, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez covers. Ah. Um, how did John Ross find out that Clark Kent is Superman? Superman told him when John was dying of a rare disease to give the boy a will to live. And then it turned out that John had just been watching the Brady Bunch and had faked the rare disease. <laughs> and then Superman threw him into the sun. <laughs> you and that thrown into the sun thing again. Um <laughs> Since the Flash has total control over his atoms, could he change his shape like Chameleon Boy? He never has, but we'll ask Flash scripter Carrie Bates to explore that possibility, which was never done. (laughs) (laughs) And then he'll promptly forget about it. (laughs) We're going to ask Carrie Bates. That's a stupid idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got a hostess ad that shockingly makes sense. More or less, yeah. Uh, so we got Wonder Woman in. I'll be Wonder Woman just to take the bullet. For okay, you. I'll, I'll do. I'll do everything else then. Wonder Woman <laughs> in dilemma. And we see That's, this. Oh, go ahead. You, you do it. We see uh, Wonder Woman, and she's uh, running alongside an express train and actually beating it. Nothing like racing a speeding train for a little extra exercise. Great Aphrodite, a rock slide. How do I save the train and the children, too? And then you got all these kids, and uh, Wonder Woman's luring them away. And they go, golly, it's Wonder Woman. Hi, Wonder Woman. Hi, kids. Come over here for some Hostess Twinkie snack cakes. That'll get them out of danger while I stop the train. Golly, do I like Twinkie snack cakes. I love the luscious cream filling. I like the moist sponge cake. Mmm, <laughs> good. Don't talk with your mouth full, dumbass. And we see Wonder Woman applying her uh, Amazonian strength to stop the train just before it <clears throat> smashes into the rock slide. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saving us, Wonder Woman. And for the great tasting Twinkie snack cakes. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkie snack cakes. That makes a whole lot of sense. It does, basically. I'm, I'm deeply and horribly disappointed that it's not full of just head-scratching bullshit. There's nothing to make fun of here. Well... There really isn't. I don't know about that. Let's take a more serious look at this. There's got to be something we can make fun of. Damn it, now I lost the... What page was it on? (laughs) Opposite of page 8. Opposite... Oh, there we go. Okay. Let me see. Hmm. Panel 1, she's racing a train. Nothing there. Next one, she's got two heads and she's racing a train. Nothing you can really... Well, let's see. The kids, kids are morons f- for not noticing yeah, a rock slide? pretty much, yeah. Okay. And there's a train coming. Maybe they're deaf kids. <laughs> deaf kids, you can always make fun of deaf kids. Um, let's see. They almost get squished. It sure takes a hell of a long time for those rocks to fall down. I mean, she's got <laughs> time to, you know... Uh, here's something you can make fun of. Why the hell is Wonder Woman carrying a backpack full of Twinkies? You gotta eat. 
I know, but I mean, do you ever see, I mean, she's not Peter Parker. You see Peter Parker swinging around town with a backpack all the time. I've never seen Wonder Woman wearing a backpack until this ad. Yeah, you got me. I, I, I really don't know. See? The logic doesn't, it doesn't hold up. I knew I could find fault with it. Actually, no, it's it's not bad. I like the picture of her stopping the train. That's pretty cool. I'll just say, that's taking it on the old chinchilla. <laughs> go i love it well yeah we are heading into an era where some of the hostess ads actually are kind of like not completely freaking loopy well speaking of completely freaking loopy though on the inside front front cover we're gonna make up all that stupidity right here we've (laughs) got the aau shoes aau superstar versus the sinister soul I swallow your soul. I swallow your soul. In a race for life. Okay. I want to be the sinister soul. You can be AAU superstar. Here we go. Okay. All right. We got this kid, and he's laying in his bed with his mother at his side, and it says, without the miracle medicine, Tommy will die. But, and you got the sinister soul, and he says, what is the life of a mere boy to the sinister soul? This potion is mine. I'll use it to bring the world to its knees. Not even AAU Superstar can catch me now. Never fear, ma'am. I'll win the race against time and the Sinister Soul. No one can outrun the AAU Superstar. Curses! Hold your tongue, Sinister Soul. (laughs) And he he grabs his cape. And it just says, yank. (laughs) And he's, he's like jerking him off his feet. It's hilarious. He's going, oof! In my AAU shoes, I've shown you, Sinister Stole, Soul, that evil po- that your evil power is no match for my supernatural strength. And so... Groan! I'm a total failure! A lost soul! If the shoe fits Sinister Soul, wear it. And he's like, got his foot <laughs> on the back of his head. And then later on, little Tommy's recovered, and he says, Thank you, Superstar, and your AAU shoes. I'll be on my feet in no time. Okay, now, here we go. (sighs) Unless this is the fucking super soldier serum, how in the hell does this kid's medicine allow the sinister soul to take over the world? (laughs) I don't get that. I need somebody to frickin' explain it to me. Well, you know, sometimes the life of it. I don't know. I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> the rest of it, it holds up pretty well. I mean, why couldn't the story just simply be, I'm an evil bastard and I'm going to take this dying kid's medicine just to be a prick. Ha ha ha! And he runs away. Instead, he says, this potion is mine. I'll use it to bring the world to its... What the hell is in this potion? I've got to know. That's an interesting costume he's wearing. He looks... Evil. I mean, I, I like his look. Actually, he actually, look, both he and the superstar actually look pretty cool. I hate the AAU superstar. Oh, come I, on! I was never a fan of running outfits. I think he looks cool because he looks like a combination of like a superhero. He, he looks a, a little bit superhero, a little bit like Evil Knievel, a little bit like uh, oh, I don't know, like Captain Marvel Junior or something. It's I don't know. It's a weird, bizarre look. I'd, I'd like to see him in the Justice Junior. Man crush on the evil uh, can evil. Hey, come on now! Evil can evil was the shit, boy. Well, as, as you said in the second episode, <laughs> I'm gonna keep saying it because I'm a keep saying it kind of person. All right, well, 
I think that about wraps us up. This issue. Uh, uh, do you what? not want to do elsewhere? Oh, shit. What am I thinking? I'm thinking about dinner. That's what I'm thinking. Because I, <laughs> I was just summoned. <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and do okay. uh, elsewhere in so. the DC Universe. All right. Elsewhere in the DC Universe, we have Superman number 323, where he faces off against the Atomic Skull. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful Jose Luis Garcia Lopez cover with Kurt Swan interiors. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, I have that Adventure Comics number 457 with Superboy. Bought a bunch of those a couple years ago. Is that Staten on the interiors? Because eventually Staten does Superboy in Adventure. I'm just, I'm not sure which yes. issues. Yes, it is. Cool. That's awesome. I, I really liked his take on uh, on uh, Smallville and Superboy and all those characters. Now, I only have two issues of Karate Kid to my collection this being one of them, the one with uh, with Robin guest starring in it, and I think it's the only one I've actually read, although I couldn't tell you a thing about it. Uh, there is Batwoman and Batgirl in the Freedom Fighters number 14. That's kind of interesting, because mm-hmm. uh, that's the Earth-1 Batwoman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that Superman Family number 189 cover. That's just really bad. Oh, yeah. Just really neat. Uh, we've got all new collector's edition C fifty eight with Superman versus Shazam. I love that book. Beautiful, beautiful artwork in that. I need to dig that out and reread it because uh, well, actually, we need to talk about that in an episode. Is what we need I, to do. I need to. I need to read that. Yeah, Here it's keen. It's got. Some, I'm trying to remember who the hell the artist is, and I want to say it might be Rich Buckler. I forget, but it's uh, it's pretty. Uh, Especially yes. in that he giant blowed up size. He does the cover as well. So. Yeah. Um, next month, since uh, we go bi-monthly here, Batman number 300. Wait a minute, you skipped one. Oh, did I? I'm sorry. Well, just one I wanted to point out real quick was uh, I love the cover to uh, Action Comics 483 where Superman is smashing through a giant Amazo. I just I love that cover. I can't remember what the story is about or if it's any good, but... Love that cover. It's just really pretty. Okay, and next month, as you were saying... Batman 300, which has a Earth-1 story with Robin. It's set in the future. It's got Robin in the Earth-2 Robin costume. Okay, all right. Well, you just answered that question for me, because I could not remember if this was an Earth-2 story or not, so I guess we don't have to address that one. Cool. No, I bought it at Dragon Con. Oh, did you? A couple years ago, just because I, I wanted to have it. It looked cool. What'd you pay for it? Uh, like five bucks. Oh, that's not too bad. Well, it wasn't too bad. It was it was pretty cheap. Um, we've got Batman Family, which has got a pretty interesting Alan Milgram cover with Batgirl and Hunter and Robin and Batman and Man Bat. It also has Huntress in mm-hmm. that issue. I like um, that cover to Aquaman sixty two, where he's mourning at uh, at Arthur Junior's grave. That's just sad. That makes me sad. Action Comics number 484. <gasps> this is a big deal. I remember when this one came out as a kid and I flipped all out about it and everything. But yeah, this is where, uh, where this Earth Superman takes a wife. Yep. But it's a jip. Well, sort of a jip because it's the Earth 2 Superman. But yeah, if, if you didn't, didn't look down on that cover and see the Daily Star building, you wouldn't See, as a kid, I must not have been into the Earth 2 stuff yet as a kid when I got this issue because I didn't know about all that. So 
you know, yeah, I started reading it, and that that's got to be one of those early issues where I where I first started to learn about Earth Two and the the parallels and all that bullshit. Because yeah, I was totally like, whoa, that's a that's not the real Superman. I I felt chipped. <laughs> Unfortunately, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez does the cover, but Kurt Swan does the interiors. It sounds like we're so down on Kurt Swan, and it's not that I am, but it's just one of those things where. By this time in comics, in, in DC comics, I feel like the art, in particular, had matured beyond the style that he was drawing in, uh-huh. and I think that's why, to so many of, of our contemporaries, that Superman, for for a lot of the same kids that I grew up with, seemed kind of stodgy. You know, he seemed uh-huh. like kind of a dinosaur. You know, they were all into the cool characters. You know, they were into X Men and. Teen Titans and all that stuff, and then they you would look at the art in those books, and then you would look at the art in an issue of Superman, and it was like, bleh. You know, this is old, <laughs> this is old fifties stodgy stuff. You know, this is old school comics. You know, it's old. Yeah, exactly. Old. So I I suspect that that's part of it. You know, because you'll notice that that Swan rarely did a cover. The covers were yeah. always dynamic. The covers were always, you know, Garcia Lopez is Superman who looked very much like Chris Reeve. You know. You didn't. Well, well, I, I think you're right. You, you, you said it best when you said that if if Kurt Swan had stepped aside and somebody like uh, Garcia Lopez had taken over, the Superman books might have gotten a kick in the pants. Oh yeah. In terms of the look, I mean, as much as I like Gil Kane, he's still an old school artist. He's mm-hmm. good, but you know, Gil Kane drawing the book, you know, when he drew action. Just never really did any. I never really liked his Superman stuff. Personally. Oh wow! But um, I was a big fan of that actually. And it's funny because I'm not the biggest Gil Kane fan, but I actually dug his his style on Superman. I, I don't ask me why. Uh, we have the first appearance of the comedian from The Watchmen on the cover of Superman, <laughs> the Legion of Superheroes. That's Grimbor, you dumbass! I know, I know. It looks just like the freaking. <laughs> he does though. That's hilarious. He, really does. he looks like the movie version of the comedian. That's hysterical, man. Good call. Good call. The uh, <laughs> the cover to Sergeant Rock number three seventeen is really kind of cool. It's got Sergeant Rock and one of his men on the cover, and they're surrounded by comic books. And in the in the background, you have Action Comics, you have Detective, you have All Flash and Wonder Woman from like the forties. That's cool. It's really kind of neat. Even though you, I know you don't like Joe Kubert. Um, uh, something we're going to have to cut, we are going to be covering actually in the future is on the cover of secret society of supervillains. Number 15 Mm -hmm. battle of the century, the secret society versus the justice society. And, uh, you have two people who have not been an issue in an issue of the justice of the, of all-star comics in quite some time. (laughs) Um, you have Dr. Midnight and the Adam and he had the, Midnight's. I like that outfit. Do you like that outfit on him? <clears throat> I like that he's wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> because no, because in some like in some pictures when he has that outfit, he's not wearing pants. He's got like the underwear on the boots. But I actually that is my preferred Adam costume right there with the cape and the yeah. I don't like the fin, but I'm not I'm not a fins type of guy. Oh, I like the fin. I, I like it because it, it, it owes back to the whatever the old stuff. Yeah, I dig that. Yeah, when he when he didn't have a fin on his helmet at all, I guess. Yeah, is that what you're talking about? 
No, no, I mean not him necessarily, but you know, just old school kind. You know, like I don't know, like Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon. Okay, guys. I see what you're you know saying. What I mean, the, the just, old the old strips is what I meant. I was just making fun of you because you deserve it. So, we'll stop it. Um, oh God, you're gonna cry again. <laughs> See, what the listeners don't know is Scott's secret shame that I do a lot of crying often here that you never actually are privy to. Oh, man. But I think that's about it for this week. Mm-hmm. This issue, All-Star Comics number 72, is reprinted in Justice Society Volume 2 trade paperback from 2007. You've been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. You can email the show by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. You can find the show at two, yes, count them, two websites. The first being www.fortressofbailey2.com. You can also find the show and subscribe to it through iTunes at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Scott has two other podcasts that he co-hosts on a weekly basis. The first is Two True Freaks, which Scott hosts with his childhood friend and former weightlifting partner of Lou Ferrigno, Chris Honeywell. Then there's Back to the Bins, which Scott co-hosts with a cavalcade of podcasting's finest hosts. Both of those can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has two other podcasts he hosts or co-hosts as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which Mike hosts all by his lonesome for the most part. And you can find that at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. That show can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Thank you for listening, and join us next week as we present more Tales of the Justice Society of America.